<sighs> Here we go again. It's 7 o'clock on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America, 3 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1981. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Believe it or not, we're not live on YouTube. I don't know. YouTube was being all fritzy tonight, so I just gave up. But here's the good news. We are live on Rumble! Yes! We made it! Hello, Rumble audience. Great to see you. It's rumble.com slash J Sheldon or J Sheldon No Pants. I think I'm on the J Sheldon channel. I've got two channels there. One has all of our past shows, and this one will be there too. But the live show is on the J Sheldon. So you just look for it. It's easy to find. You look for that logo, you'll see it. Anyway, hello, Facebook. Sorry, YouTube. Hello, twitch.tv. And finally, hello, Rumble. We're there. We made it. Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been one of those overcast, wet days all day here in Malaysia. Um, hot, because it's always hot. And, uh, yeah, it's just been wet and humid, which is like, yeah, so what? Every day is like that. But... Um, yeah, we made it anyway. Uh, we also want to, uh, I'll tell you what, let's do this while we uh, while we have it here. Because before we get started with people being slobs and idiots and not picking up their trash, that's coming up. Uh, some strange things people have found in their houses they didn't expect. Very weird stuff. Wait till you see this. Um, but also, tomorrow is Malaysia Day. And, uh, yeah, it's a public holiday here in Malaysia. Everybody has the day off. Wow, sorry, big bright flash of light there. Um, Malaysia Day, or Hari Malaysia, a public holiday, 16th of September, held every year to commemorate the establishment, I'm reading this, of the Malaysian Federation on that date, which is tomorrow, in 1963. Now, we did just have, August 31st, our Merdeka Day, Independence Day. But this is the day when Malaya, the original name of Malaysia, North Borneo, which was renamed Sabah, and Singapore united into a single state. Now, it says here that Singapore, however, was expelled from the Federation less than two years later, August 9th, 1965. Expelled? I thought they wanted to go. This makes it sound like we kicked them out. I honestly, I don't know the history that well to tell you, but that's what it says uh, here. So, yeah, uh, Malaysia Day tomorrow, the uh, the unifying of all the different uh, states of Malaysia into one giant country. Well, not that giant, but um, the one giant country that I call home now, which is Malaysia. <sighs> oh, my. It's been... <laughs> It's been a day. I'm happy to, uh, I'm very pleased to actually see myself over on, uh, over on Rumble. We're very happy about that. And Twitch.tv, cannot forget my Twitch audience. And of course, all the folks listening later on the podcast. This audio part of the show goes out as a podcast right after we're done with the live stream. And you'll find us anywhere you find your podcasts. Spotify, Amazon, Google, uh, Radio, Public, Stitcher. We're on all the platforms and our downloads are going great. Thank you very much for that. I really appreciate your uh, your reactions, <coughs> excuse me, and your downloads. I need coffee. Hold on. Speaking of which, if you go to twitch.tv, you can check out our uh, our Miko merchandise. This is our dog, Miko. This is our show logo. See, looks just like that one. There you go. And you can pick up a mug or a mouse pad or a t-shirt 
or any one of a number of different cool things. Um, Mohanad the Mighty, welcome into the show. Where have you been? We missed you. Uh, Mohanad says, how many tickles do you need to make an octopus laugh? I'm usually really good at riddles, but I can't think of a smart-ass answer to this one. I don't know, Mohanad. How many tickles do you need to make an octopus laugh? Uh, Mohanad is one of our regular guests over there in uh, Saudi Arabia, so thank you for that. Please answer the question. You're killing me here. I need to know. All right. Um, let's see. Ten tickles. Oh, oh my God. Are you kidding me with that? Tentacles. Yeah, I... Uh, mm, mm, okay, fine. You win. <laughs> it looks... <laughs> yeah, rim shot. Um, because I probably have a new audience that have just found us over live on rumble.com, um, <laughs> you're probably watching and you're going... What the hell is this? Um, we are, what is your show about? People ask me that all the time. And I say, it's about an hour. But we fill that hour with, um, <laughs> with uh, just crap I find on the internet that I find interesting, stuff sometimes that pisses me off, uh, poignant things, inspirational things, funny things, cool things, weird things. Every now and then I will play an old school game because, you know, the old boomer here. Uh, not terribly tech savvy, but I'm getting better. And um, I just, by the way, there's a new version of Doom Out, online version. I was just playing it today. It's very cool. It's very difficult, but that's mainly because I'm rusty at Doom. So we will definitely schedule that to come up on one of our live streams. We'll play a little Doom. We haven't done that in a long time. Back, this is our like 114th show we've done live. And uh, in the first 10 or 20 shows, I did a few of them where I would play old school games. We, I think we played Mortal Kombat. We played Doom a bunch of times. Uh, Meridian 59. So anyway... We're going to try and get back into Doom because I found an online version that's new and it's very cool. And it's in celebration, like, I think it's Doom's anniversary. It's like one of the big 30th, 40th anniversary or something like that. Doom was a long time ago. Uh, in answer to your question, where have I been? I've been busy for two months applying to universities and just begun my studies a week ago. Congratulations. Fantastic. That is very good news. All right. Excellent. Good to hear that. Um, okay. What is not good news is a story out of Malaysia here. We have just, in, in small ways, begun to open up. Mostly it's for the fully vaccinated, but people are going out more. Uh, a little inter-district travel is allowed. You still can't travel in between states in Malaysia. You're welcome, Mohanad. Uh, but uh, people are going out a little more often. And one of the things that people love to do to get kind of get back to nature here in Malaysia is we have some amazing waterfalls. They're really beautiful. And... Um, People will go, they'll take the family, kids, mom, dad, whoever, and go to the waterfalls, have a picnic, do some swimming, see the sights, that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, one of the things that happens, and it is beyond me why, I just cannot understand the mentality of some of these idiots. Take a look at this. And this is just one waterfall in one area, we have a ton of them here. This is from a World of Buzz, a hat tip to World of Buzz, who did this story. You want to find out and read the whole story, you can check it out over on World of Buzz. But take a look at what these idiots, these freaking morons, have done to this Sungai Pisang waterfall. 
Yeah, the headline says it all. Rubbish littered at Sungai Pisang waterfall proves why we should all just stay home. You know what? If this is the kind of crap you're going to do, stay home. You shouldn't be allowed out. It's unbelievable. Look at that. Look at that. Unbelievable. By the way, if you're listening on the podcast, sorry, this is a visual, but you can go to rumble.com slash Pants. Check out the uh, the video rebroadcast of our show afterwards. Um, it's it's just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, footage from Sungai Pisang in Kuala Lumpur went viral. A massive crowd flooded the recreational area after KL, Putrajaya, and Selangor moved into phase two of the National Recovery Plan. And just to give you a little bit of context, the crowd was so huge, there was barely enough space for people to move. While this showed the Malaysian Ta'apa attitude, which is kind of like, eh, whatever, um, since the authorities have warned against crowding, even if you are vaccinated, it also showcases another aspect of this behavior from the idiots. And I mean that in every sense of the word. You are a complete slob. You should not be allowed out in public. It's just incredible. Even in the river, look at this, the trash scattered all over the place, in the river, on the riverbanks. I produce a show on Facebook and YouTube called Random Acts. And our show, I've talked about this before, our show is to honor the common ordinary people who do random acts of kindness, goodness, feeding, feeding the hungry, taking care of the homeless. And the upsetting is not even begins to describe it, uh, what these people have done. But uh, on Random Acts, we shot a pilot episode way before there was a virus. It was about three or four years ago, I think, we shot this episode. It was a pilot, and it has never aired. But this group called IMCO... Um, does projects in the community. In fact, we just had another interview with IMCO on Random Act Show uh, last month. Uh, but we're trying to get permission now to air this pilot because of some contract de- de- details and things. Hopefully we can, because what we did was we, fig- we featured this group, IMCO, on a day when they were out cleaning up the riverbanks. Exactly what you see here is exactly what they had to deal with. And it's unbelievable. This was three or four years ago when these morons were still doing it. And apparently being locked in your house didn't give you any time to think about how to be a mature individual and care about your environment. And I've spoken to people too about this. There are not just trash, there are a bunch, and I mean a lot, of old, dirty, filled diapers in this trash. If you don't even care enough to put your kid's crappy diaper in a plastic bag and take it with you, there is, you probably shouldn't even have children. I'm serious. This, this is beyond believable. Stop it. Pick up your trash. Care about your environment. You want it to be there. You want it to be clean for the next time you go or for the next folks that go. If you are that selfish, and that's exactly what you are, is selfish. If you're that selfish and uncaring, lock yourself in your home. Don't come out and join the rest of us because you're ruining the party for everyone. It's beyond me that these people exist how much how much do you have to not care to get to that point okay enough ranting and raving my i've said my piece and i'm disgusted by you people so stop it you're idiots morons (sighs) you know this (laughs) i don't know if this is related or not but i found this and it's really thought-provoking check this out check this out let me see if Let me think about it, see if I can hook this into what I was just talking about. Fascinated how the behavior of the people who took three pieces of pizza at the party because they thought 
it would run out. And the people who took one piece of pizza at the party for exactly the same reason. Yeah, you know what? That actually does fit exactly to what I was just talking about. Now, the writer here says it's such a perfect encapsulation of America's beliefs about community. Well, let me tell you, Spencer, it ain't just America. Because to harp back to the subject I just beat to death, that's exactly those those people who took three pieces of pizza at the party because they were afraid it was going to run out are exactly the people dumping their baby's diapers and their litter on the side of the rivers and the waterfalls. It's the people who took one piece for the same reason, because they thought there wouldn't be enough, who pick up their trash and take it back with them or put it in the receptacles where it belongs. You know what? I'm glad I found that because that is exactly true. And, and like I said, uh, Noble Spencer, at Noble Spencer is the guy who posted this. It's not just America, sadly. It's going on right here in Malaysia. Unbelievable. All right. Um, what else have we got? You know what? I just got to check because I'm so fascinated we're actually live on Rumble. <laughs> so I just want to check and make sure that we are. And yes, we are still live over there. So that's cool. I'm very pleased about that. And we're still going on over at twitch.tv. YouTube, you know what? YouTube, if you could screw things up, you are the queens or the kings of doing that. So thanks for that. All right. The other thing we promised you coming up tonight was times when people stumbled across something in their house they never knew was there. A lot of these old homes, especially the ones that have been around for 50, 60, 100 years or more, um, have fascinating histories. And when people buy them and refurbish them, sometimes they find things they weren't expecting. This is a strange website. Its URL is en.queez, K-U-E-E-Z, dot com. We want to tip the hat to these folks. And uh, go over there and check it out. It's called 30 Shocking Things People Discovered in Their Homes. And they stumbled across them, never knew that they were there. Every year, hundreds of people find something hidden in their house, things that didn't originally belong to them. And as they peeled back layers of wallpaper or old carpets, they came upon some hidden treasures. Some of these are fascinating. Take a look. Picked up the rug, found this underneath. They... Uh, Apparently, people were too lazy to get rid of the hot tub, which they had installed in the middle of the living room. So somebody put a piece of wood over top underneath the, the carpet. And when they dug this up, take a look. Boing! Instant hot tub. Ha! How cool is that? Nice! So there you go. You got a bonus in your house. Didn't expect that to be there. Nice! would love that. We don't have cellars here in Malaysia. Hardly anybody has a cellar. All the houses are just built on the ground. So you really you'd have to do some digging to get that to work. Uh, electrical switches from the early 1900s. This is cool. When people move into older homes, sometimes they don't realize exactly how old their houses are. And uh, these switches were found. They're from 1909. Now, the technology is completely outdated, but what a cool feature to have in your home. Look at that with these giant throw switches here. Let me get my mouse back. Here we go. These giant throw switches there. They're all disconnected and all, but that is very cool. You can put some lights in there. See, actually, it does have like pilot lights along this. That would be, that's really cool. Very old school. Nice. A full-sized Monopoly board. Whoever lived in this house must have been a big fan of Monopoly because when they ripped up the carpet underneath, apparently the living room floor, an entire full-sized Monopoly board was, was put into the floorboards. Check this out. 
That is incredible. The owner ought to consider keeping it because there's nothing like anyone's ever seen before. It really is a novelty. That is very cool. What a cool game room. Nice. Uh, makeshift safe behind the shower wall. Uh, they removed the old shower walls and found a makeshift safe hidden behind loose panels. There we go. That's weird. Although that just looks like brick. I don't know how much you'd be able to stuff in there. Um, they followed the grate to find something unexpected. While milk doors and outdated switches are cool, it was a hidden chapel under the floor. I guess kind of creepy, yeah. So they they picked up this grate, followed it down, and check this out. That's what they found underneath the floor. Fascinating. The cellar once stood under an old Tudor house, but during the reign of Queen Victoria, it was torn down, and the Victorian was built on top of it. The cellar was used as a secret place for Catholics to pray. The king at the time was Protestant, and Catholicism wasn't allowed. These are just unbelievable. Look at this vintage wallpaper they found underneath. Uh, wallpaper had put, put on top. But this looks like it's probably from the 50s or something. This is actual wallpaper. That is amazing. Fantastic. This uh, drugstore was built in an old bank. So they made maximum use of the features. <laughs> it's a vitamin vault built right into the right into the old bank vault with the swinging door and everything. That is so cool. A secret room full of old liquor. Now this, this would be cool. If you found this, imagine in your house. You buy an older home, usually work goes into modernizing the interior. Well, this family bought a home in New Jersey. And when they began redoing the house, they found a hidden room in the basement. And take a look, full all kinds of liquor. Look at this on the top. All kind of uh, different kinds of liquor. There's some, looks like wine bottles down here. Maybe some homemade moonshine on the bottom. That is fascinating. And, you know, I would bet likely a lot of this is probably still okay. I don't think I'd want to be the guinea pig to try it, but I would bet some of that's still good. Some of it was illegal. Oh, oh because the uh, alcohol was illegal. So they had it hidden. And uh, some of the wines they found dated back as far as 1796. Wow. That's insane. You got to check this whole article out because it's cool. I'm not going to cover all of them. But it's en.kueez.com. And uh, just unbelievable. These paintings found behind wallpaper. And, uh, oh, a dog footprint in the brick <laughs> somebody's family pet. That's great. New York, a little bit of history, then an old sign, a hundred-year-old sign. Um, rooms for a dollar. If it's a room with a bath, it's a dollar fifty. <laughs> yeah, Jay wants some illegal wine in his house confirmed. I've got wine in my house, but it's not illegal. Um, original wells that were found inside the house. Check that out. That's cool. And uh, there's one here you've got it. Oh, this is a Norwegian resistance war room. Um, they rented a home in Norway and imagine, never imagined they'd find this hidden room in the attic. It was a place to hide away during the war. I assume World War II. Wow. An entire underground city. Russian developer bought the land of an old market and the team began digging and they discovered this an entire city underground. Workshops, cinema, bars, restaurants, and a casino. The whole town was built by old migrant workers who came into the country illegally. So they lived and worked below ground so they wouldn't get caught and only left at night to get supplies. That is absolutely fascinating. An old milk door. Ah, here's the one. We're going to end with this one. Most people find pieces of history like we've talked about here. Um, but these folks really hit the jackpot. A newlywed couple moved into their dream home and the property needed a lot of updating. They didn't have much money, but they were trying to make it work. 
So as they started to tear things apart, this is what they found. Wow. They used the money they started renovations and discovered a metal tin crammed in the ceiling. And in that, 20,000 USD. And later uncovered six other containers full of cash. There's a but to this story. They didn't get to keep the money. Oh, man. Believe it or not, the FBI confiscated the money when it was discovered it was evidence from a bank robbery back in the 1960s. Oh, how much would that suck? Or should I say, why did the idiots report it? Why didn't they just, you know, unless they were numbered bills or something. 20000 in that box alone, that would have paid for a lot of renovations. Oh, man. The things you've... I should start tearing the walls out of my house. You never know what you'd find. Although I don't think this house is that old. We'll see. <laughs> All right. That's the weird stuff people found hidden in their houses. And speaking of weird stuff, my friend Zane uh, posted this. It's a public post, so I'm not giving away any state secrets here. It's very cool. Very short little article. A couple of short little bits to uh, share before we move on to our book tonight. Um, in night, People talk about global warming or climate change, whatever the buzzword is these days. Uh, 1947, in Canada, they experienced the coldest day ever. Locals stepped outside and their breath hissed. As they were breathing, there'd be this sound because it froze in midair. It was minus 62.8 Celsius. Whoa. Can you imagine? Minus 62.8 Celsius in the tiny village. Adding to the strange day, locals discovered that sound can travel much further in extremely cold, dense air. Sound waves travel in extremely cold, dense air much, much further. In fact, the people at the airport could clearly hear townspeople talking as if they were close by, but they were actually five kilometers away. Insane, but yet it sounded like, five kilometers away, but it sounded like the people were right close by because of the extreme cold and how the dense cold air allowed the sound to travel. That is insane. 62.8, minus 62.8 Celsius. Absolutely unbelievable. All right, I got one more for you. My friend Don, actually my cousin Don uh, Whitford, uh, posted this. And um, I've, I've heard a story similar, but... It's absolutely brilliant. And what with everything going on in the U.S., the idiots in California, the idiots in Washington, and the idiots in a whole bunch of other countries scattered throughout the globe. Uh, I'm talking about politicians, okay? Well, <laughs> this story is a hoot. You're going to love this. You don't need the visual for this. It's just words on a page, but I love it. While stitching a cut on the hand of a 75-year-old farmer whose hand got caught in the squeeze gate while working cattle, the doctor struck up a conversation with the old man. And eventually the topic got around to politicians and their role as leaders. The old farmer said, well, as I see it, most politicians are post-turtles. Well, not being familiar with the term, the doctor said, what's a post-turtle? And the old rancher said, when you're driving down a country road, you come across a fence post with a turtle balanced on top. That's a post-turtle. The old farmer saw the puzzled look on the doctor's face, so he continued to explain. 
a post turtle. You don't know how, you know he didn't get up there by himself. He doesn't belong up there. He doesn't know what to do while he's up there. He doesn't know what to uh, do while he's up there. He's elevated way beyond his ability to function. And you just wonder what kind of dumb arse put him up there to begin with. That's a poster. <laughs> or the best explanation of a politician I think I've ever heard. <laughs> a poster. Don't know how it got up there. Doesn't belong up there. Got no use being up there. Can't function while he's up there. And what moron put him up there? That just about says it all, doesn't it? Unbelievable. Oh, my. All right. Uh, what else we got going on here? We got our book, don't we? Yeah, cool. All right, before we get into that, uh, let's see. Where are we? Give me one second. All right, my mic is back now. There we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> two things. One is that we get all of our books from the good folks at the Gutenberg Project. That is gutenberg.org. They're all in the public domain, so they are free to use. They're copyright free. They're free for you to read. You can download them. There's all the classic books are there. We've done all of our books from the Gutenberg Project. Uh, Alice in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, uh, The Velveteen Rabbit. We are currently doing The War of the Worlds. We did Peter Pan. And um, you'll find them all there. In fact, you can read along with me if you like. What we do is we read a chapter, maybe two, maybe half a chapter of the long ones. And we do that every stream. At the end of our stream, we read a chapter in a book. It's the same book until we get to the end. Then we switch to a new one. So we've been doing H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. And uh, we're maybe about halfway through, a little less than halfway, I think. We're at chapter 10 tonight. But meantime, before we get into our book today, if you would like to help support the show, I uh, can't encourage you enough to please go over to patreon.com slash jsheldon. That's me. And you can uh, sign up there for a very, very tiny little amount, not even a cup of coffee worth an amount of money every month. And... Uh, you can cancel any time. It helps to support the show. Patreon.com slash Sheldon. There's a couple of different tiers there for memberships, and uh, it's all explained. But the second tier will get you a special link only for second tier people and get you access to all of our books that we've read. But it's only the books. All that junk for the first half hour of the show has been cut out. So it's just that part of the book, all organized by by books and by chapter. So it's it's like an audio book, basically. So you can just listen if you want, or you can actually watch the video because the video is also there. So if you'd like, you can sign up for a second tier level for that. And we appreciate uh, your doing that. Thank you so much at patreon.com slash jsheldon. All right. So having said all that, it's time. It's the amazing H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, Originally published when? Back in, uh, let's see, 1897. It was a magazine serial. It came out each week. And um, finally, the first novel appeared of The War of the Worlds a year later in uh, 1898. Very cool. So we are at chapter 10 in The War of the Worlds. This is called In the Storm. Leatherhead is about 12 miles from Maybury Hill. The scent of hay was in the air, through the lush meadows beyond Pyreford, and the hedges on either side were sweet and gay with multitudes of dog roses. The heavy firing that had broke out while we were driving down Maybury Hill ceased just as abruptly as it began, leaving the evening very peaceful and very still. We got to Leatherhead without the evening, uh, without the misadventure, about nine o'clock, 
and the horse had an hour's rest while I took supper with my cousins and commended my wife to their care. My wife was curiously silent throughout the drive and seemed oppressed with forebodings of evil. I talked to her reassuringly, pointing out that the Martians were tied up to the pit by sheer heaviness and at the utmost could but crawl a little out of it but she answered only in monosyllables. Had it not been for my promise to the innkeeper, she would, I think, have urged me to stay in Leatherhead that night. Would that I had. Her face, I remember, was very white as we parted. For my own part, I'd been feverishly excited all day. Something very like the war fever that occasionally runs through a civilized community had gotten into my blood and in my heart, I was not so very sorry that I had to return to Maybury that night. I was even afraid that that last fusillade I had heard might mean the extermination of our invaders from Mars. I can best express my state of mind by saying that I wanted to be in at the death. It was nearly eleven when I started to return. The night was unexpectedly dark to me. Walking out of the lighted passage of my cousin's house, it seemed indeed black, and it was as hot and close as the day. Overhead, the clouds were driving fast, albeit not a breath stirred the shrubs around us. My cousin's man lit both lamps. Happily, I knew the road intimately, and my wife stood in the light of the doorway and watched me until I jumped up onto the dog cart. Then abruptly she turned and went in, leaving my cousin side by side, wishing me good hap. I was a little depressed at first from the contagion of my wife's fears, but very soon my thoughts reverted to the Martians. At that time I was absolutely in the dark as to the course of the evening's fighting. I didn't know even the circumstances that had precipitated the conflict. As I came through Ockham, for that was the way I returned, and not through Send and Old Walking, I saw along the western horizon a blood-red glow, which as I drew nearer crept slowly up the sky. The driving clouds of the gathering thunderstorm mingled there with masses of black and red smoke. Ripley Street was deserted, and except for a lighted window or so, the village showed not a sign of life. But I narrowly escaped an accident at the corner of the road to Pyreford, where a knot of people stood with their backs to me. They said nothing to me as I passed. I, I don't know what they knew of the things that happened beyond the hill, nor do I know if the silent houses I passed on my way were sleeping securely or deserted and empty, or harassed and watching against the terror of the night. From Ripley until I came through Pyreford, I was in the Valley of the Way, and the red glare was hidden from me. As I ascended the little hill beyond Pyreford Church, the glare came into view again, and the trees above me shivered with first intimidation of the storm that was upon me. Then I heard midnight peeling out from the Pyreford Church behind me, and then came the silhouette of Maybury Hill, with its treetops and roofs black and sharp against the red. Even as I beheld this lurid green glare lit the road about me, and showed the distant woods towards Addlestone. I felt a tug at the reins. I saw that the driving clouds had been pierced as if it were by a thread of green fire, suddenly lighting their confusion and falling into the field to my left. It was the third falling star. Close on its apparition and blindingly violent by contrast, danced out the first lightning of the gathering storm, and the thunder burst overhead like a rocket. The horse took the bit between his teeth and bolted. 
a moderate incline run towards the foot of Maybury Hill, and down this we clattered. Once the lightning had begun, it went on in as rapid a succession of flashes as I have ever seen. The thunderclaps, treading one on the heels of another, and with a strange crackling accompaniment, sounded more like the working of a giant electric machine than the usual detonating reverberations. The flickering light was blinding and confusing, and the thin hail smote gustily at my face as I drove down the slope. At first, I regarded little but the road before me, and then abruptly my attention was arrested by something that was moving rapidly down the opposite slope of Maybury Hill. At first, I took it for the wet roof of a house, but one flash followed another showed it to be a swift rolling movement. It was an elusive vision, a moment of bewildering darkness, and then, in a flash like daylight, the red masses of the orphanage near the crest of the hill, the green tops of the pine trees, and this problematic object came out clear and sharp and bright. And this thing I saw, how can I describe it? A monstrous tripod, higher than many houses, striding over the young pines and smashing them aside in its career. A walking engine of glittering metal, striding now across the heather, articulate ropes of steel dangling from it, and the clattering tumult of its passage mingling with the riot of the thunder. A flash, and it came out vividly, heeling over one way with two feet in the air, to vanish and reappear almost instantly, as it seemed, with the next flash, a hundred yards nearer. Can you imagine a milking stool, tilted, and bowled violently along the ground. That was the impression these instant flashes gave. But instead of a milking stool, imagine a great body of a machinery on a tripod stand. Then, suddenly, the trees and the pine wood ahead of me were parted, as brittle reeds are parted by a man thrusting through them. They were snapped off, and driven headlong, and a second huge tripod appeared, rushing, as it seemed, headlong towards me, and I was galloping hard to meet it. At the sight of the second monster, my nerves went altogether. Not stopping to look again, I wrenched the horse's head hard round to the right, and in another moment the dog-cart had heeled over upon the horse, the shaft smashed noisily, and I was flung sideways and fell heavily into a shallow pool of water. I crawled out almost immediately and crouched, my feet still in the water under a clump of firs. The horse lay motionless. His neck was broken, poor brute. And by the lightning flashes I saw the black bulk of the overturned dog-cart and the silhouette of the wheel still spinning slowly. In another moment, the colossal mechanism went striding by me and passed uphill towards Pyreford. Seen nearer, the thing was incredibly strange, for it was no mere insensate machine driving on its way. Machine it was, with a ringing metallic pace, a long, flexible, glittering tentacles, one of which gripped a young pine tree, swinging and rattling about its strange body. It picked its road as it went striding along, and the brazen hood that surrounded it moved to and fro with the inevitable suggestion of a head looking about. Behind the main body was a huge mass of white metal, like a gigantic fisherman's basket, and puffs of green smoke squirted out from the joints of the limbs as the monster swept by me. 
and in an instant, it was gone. So much I saw then, all vaguely for the flickering of lightning, in blinding headlights and dense black shadows. As it passed, it set up an exultant, deafening howl that drowned the thunder. Aloo! Aloo! And in another minute, it was with its companion, half a mile away, stooping over something in the field. I have no doubt this thing in the field was the third of the ten cylinders they had fired at us from Mars. For some minutes I lay there in the rain and the darkness watching. By the intermittent light, these monstrous beings of metal moving about in the distance over the hedge tops. A thin hail was now beginning, and as it came and went, their figures grew misty and then flashed into clearness again. Now and then came a gap in the lightning, and the night swallowed them up. I was soaked with hail above and puddle water below. It was some time before my blank astonishment would let me struggle up to the bank to a drier position, or think at all of my imminent peril. Not far from me was a little one-room squatter's hut of wood, surrounded by a patch of potato garden. I struggled to my feet at last, and crouching and making use of every chance of cover, I made a run for this. I hammered at the door, but I could not make the people hear if, if there were any people inside at all and after a time I desisted and availed myself of a ditch for the greater part of the way, succeeding in crawling, unobserved by these monstrous machines, into the pine woods towards Maybury. Under cover of this I pushed on, wet, shivering now, towards my own house. I walked among the trees trying to find the footpath. It was very dark indeed in the woods, for the lightning was now becoming infrequent, and the hail, which was pouring down in a torrent, fell in columns through the gaps in the heavy foliage. I had fully realized the meaning of all these things I'd seen. I, I should have immediately worked my way round through Byfleet to Street Chobham, and so gone back to rejoin my wife at Leatherhead. But, but that night the strangeness of things about me and my physical wretchedness prevented me, for, for I was bruised and weary, wet to the skin, deafened and blinded by the storm. I had a vague idea of going on to my own house. That was as much motive as I had. I staggered through the trees, fell into a ditch, and bruised my knee against a plank, finally splashed down into the lane that ran down the college arms. I... I say splashed, for the stormwater was sweeping the sand down the hill in a muddy torrent. There in the darkness a man blundered into me and sent me reeling back. He gave a cry of terror, springing sideways, and rushed on before I could gather my wits sufficiently to speak to him. So heavy was the stress of the storm just at this place that I had the hardest task to win my way up the hill. I went close up to the fence on the left and worked my way along its palings. Near the top I stumbled upon something soft and, by a flash of lightning, saw between my feet a heap of black broadcloth and a pair of boots. Before I could distinguish clearly how the man lay, the flickering of light had passed. I stood over him waiting for the next flash. When it came, I saw that he was a sturdy man, cheaply but not shabbily dressed. His head was bent under his body, and he lay crumpled up close to the fence, as though he'd been flung violently against it. Overcoming the repugnance natural to one who'd never before touched a dead body, I stooped and turned him over to feel for his heart. He was quite dead. Apparently his neck had been broken. The lightning flashed for a third time, and his face leaped up at me. 
I sprang to my feet. I, I was the landlord of the spotted dog whose conveyance I had taken. I stepped over him gingerly and pushed on up the hill. I made my way by the police station and the college arms towards my own house. Nothing was burning on the hillside, though from the common there was still a red glare and a rolling tumult of ruddy smoke beating up the drenching hail. So far as I could see by the flashes, the houses about me were mostly uninjured. By the college arms, a dark heap lay in the road. Down the road, towards Maybury Bridge, there were voices and the sound of feet. But I had not the courage to shout or to go to them. I let myself in with my latch key, closed, locked, bolted the door, staggered to the foot of the staircase, and sat down. My imagination was full of those striding metallic monsters and of the dead body smashed against the fence. I crouched at the foot of the staircase with my back to the wall and shivered violently. Wow. That was chapter 10. Wow. A long chapter, but what a description. And the tripods are on the move. Coming up in our next stream on Saturday night, we'll move on to chapter 11, which is called At the Window. Very, very cool. All right. Um, that's going to do it for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for rumble.com slash Sheldon or rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants. Be sure you sign up for a free account. No cost to you. Check us out. All of our shows are there. And of course, now, hopefully, and in the future, our live stream show will also be there Monday, Wednesday, and Saturdays, 10 p.m. Malaysia time. Patreon.com slash jsheldon if you want to help support the show. And uh, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We will see you again on Saturday night. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. Yay!